Today's episode of Wings for Breakfast is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. and welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I don't know what day it is, and I don't know what we were going to do for content today if the gods didn't deliver uh, with a lot of mock drafts and a lot of new rankings, but they did, and so Prashant Iyer, where should we start? Well, I mean, we've got so many mock drafts that have come out in the last uh, few days. Obviously, you guys over at The Athletic, all the beat writers, went through the lottery-eligible teams, and then Craig Button of TSN did a mock draft after hitting uh, the Tankathon simulator, and then Sam Costantino over at Sportsnet put his out. But I think we should probably start with you guys, uh, as yours was the most straightforward. Uh, you guys just took the teams uh, based on points percentage, only did the lottery teams, and that means good news for the Red Wings. Yeah, it turns out the best lottery when you're the last place team is no lottery. That's not going to happen in real life, but uh, that's the way that we simulated it. And, you know, I, I was interested in a lot of things about this draft, my pick being the least of them. I obviously took Alexi Lafreniere on behalf of the Red Wings. Uh, but I thought, you know, the way that this whole draft shook out uh, leaves some pretty solid players hanging around past uh, past the 15th pick. But we can... Um, we can get into that a little bit slowly. Where, 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 anything stand out to you particularly in the top of the draft? Uh, I mean, obviously, I like Corey Promen's comment on your on your pick. You know, you you were very courageous <laughs> to to go forward and, and and not use the entire draft clock. I'm presuming to take Alexi Lafreniere, so not not a bad issue there. But I think where this draft really gets interesting is is what's going to happen at three. And when I like to look at these mock drafts or or look at the drafts in the past, you can almost come up and find the decision points. Like this decision made at this pick is going to uh, substantially affect how things are going to unfold. And so last year when you looked at it, it was what happened at number three when Chicago takes Kirby Dock. And now that's going to impact how the rest of that draft plays out because – you know, by taking Doc, all right, if he's the center there, then how does that affect Turcotte, Cousins, et cetera, all those guys last year? This year, I think, again, at number three, you have the same decision point happening. And it's really interesting when you go by points percentage because Ottawa, uh, by virtue of having San Jose's in their own pick, gets the second and third picks. And so we know two is likely going to be Quentin Byfield. What they do at three, I think, is is very interesting because – you know, as you and I have talked about, I personally believe Marco Rossi is the next player that goes here. But do they take another center out of the OHL or do they start thinking a little bit more about positions and do they go for a winger or even a defenseman here? And so Haley, 
uh, elected to take Byfield, obviously, at two, but then going for Tim Stutzler, uh, uh, who's been categorized as a winger, although he can play center, um, at three. Yeah, and, and obviously whatever happens with the Senators there is going to set quite the tone for the takeaways from the draft, the Atlantic, all of the Atlantic division next season. I mean, especially if they end up with two picks in the top three, it seems pretty likely they're going to end up with two in the top five. Um, that is going to be a big storyline. Some of the things I thought were interesting, Jamie Drysdale jumps into the top four. I do think that makes some sense. I think it's like since 2003, every draft has had the top defenseman go in the top five. Um, I thought, you know, Holtz above Raymond. I'm always interested in, in how people are ranking and, and drafting uh, those two players who get compared to each other constantly. Anton Lindell still in the top ten. Um, that's interesting, as, Yar- as Yaroslav Oskarov to the Devils. Uh, the Devils have a bunch of picks, so I, I feel like that probably plays into things there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, not a whole lot of defensemen drafted. You got um, Drysdale, obviously, at, at four. Then you got Jake Sanderson. Uh, Braden Schneider and uh, is that it? Did Gould go? Yeah, I mean that's it in wow. the in the in the top fifteen and and I mean to be quite honest, I don't think this is how it shakes out simply because you do always have teams reaching for defensemen. But when you're looking at talent right now, there is a substantial gap between the caliber of forwards available and the caliber of defensemen available. I mean, and it was the same uh, situation last season as well when really Bowen Byram. And, and Moritz Sider, although he didn't have the same press as uh, Byram at the same time, you know, he wasn't really in that bucket of people that uh, that most teams were considering to be the elite defensemen. And, and obviously it always works out where even if you're not bucketing or, or anticipating the defensemen to go there based on these uh, gulfs of skill, they still end up going and you end up... You ended up having a handful of defensemen go early last year, even though, you know, there was a, a, a big emphasis on the, the caliber of forwards available. So I think this mock draft that you guys laid out probably better aligns with the actual talent of each of these players. But I foresee at least one, if not another, defenseman finding a way to sneak in here. I have a hard time imagining that 12 of the first 15 picks um, are all forwards. So you would say so the I should athletics. say 11. You would say the athletics writers would be better GMs than the NHL GMs. Absolutely. Okay. At this point in time. Although, I will very much yell at Corey for taking Askarov at 10 because there is, you have Mackenzie Blackwood. There's no business taking Yaroslav Askarov at that point, um, with how Blackwood looks. Uh, you know, so I, I can't justify Askarov that high. Well, it goes back to the old adage, you can never have too many goalies. Is, is that an adage? <laughs> I think, you know, I'm trying to think of the last team that said you can never have too many goalies. And and maybe if the NHL decides to, to reevaluate their rules and let you play two goaltenders, then, then sure, why not? Go for it. It'd be very interesting to have a right-handed catching goalie and a left-handed catching goalie in net. Um, but until that happens, Corey, I'm sorry, that's the pick I take the most offense at of the, of the top 15 here. Fair enough. All right, well then... How about this? We'll pivot a little bit. And there was another mock draft that came out, uh, that one via TSN and Craig Button. That one, they actually simulated a lottery, and the Red Wings still won the lottery in that one. So they come out with Alexi Lafreniere. Montreal gets the second pick, and Jamie Drysdale goes to – oh, I shouldn't have said the pick yet, but whatever. The Devils get the third pick, and they take Jamie Drysdale. So a uh, couple, couple teams jump in Ottawa in the lottery. That pushes the Senators' picks to four and five. But the Red Wings still come out of that simulation at number one. Yeah, 
And I mean, again, we're now looking at a, a lottery that finally has the Red Wings winning. And again, they do have the highest odds. It's just 80, they're, you know, 82% of their uh, odds is basically going to not be that first overall pick. And, and their most likely pick is going to be fourth overall. But I will take any mock draft that wants to hand the Red Wings Alexi Lafreniere. I have no problem with that. So, all right, we're off to a good start. We've got two drafts down and, and two times the Red Wings are drafting the best player in, in, in the available. In both of these drafts, Ottawa comes out with what I believe will be a number one center uh, and either another number one center or a number one winger in Tim Stutzel. So the first, our mock at the Athletic, I think they came out with Byfield and Stutzel. In this TSN one, it's Rossi and Stutzel. Uh, no matter what, I think the Senators are in the, the prime position to completely um, accelerate everything they're doing uh, whenever this draft happens. Yeah, so looking at this, and this is a common question I think you and I have gotten, let's take the package of Byfield and Stutzel, and we'll take the package of Rossi and Stutzel. If you're Detroit at one with Alexi Lafreniere, do you trade Alexi Lafreniere for either of those packages? Those packages aren't going to get offered. Oh, I know it's not going to get offered. I'm just saying if you're in Detroit's position and you're like, yeah. would you even see if Ottawa's going to inquire about doing that? Because, you know, Ottawa may not want to pay two players. That's the way it's gone over there. They're on, they're on ELCs. For now. I, I've seen so many uh, in that ilk of like, would would the Red Wings trade one for two and three or something like that? And I know that, I know you're not talking about two and three here, but man, I think people are really overestimating the gap in value. Like if this was – I went back and looked at every – Every like top three of the last like twenty years, and to see like what when would it possibly not make sense to make a deal like that? And there's a few times, but they're all like in the early two thousands with some like really bad top three picks. Like if you look at the last decade, even the McDavid draft, you would take. You, would you trade McDavid for Eichel and Strom? Dylan Strom? I absolutely would not. I think I would. What about Matthews for Line and Pierre Luc Dubois? I don't think I would do that one either. I would trade Matthews for Lionel and Pierre-Luc Dubois. I think I think that's the interesting piece is like when you sum up like you know if you use the GAR values like goals above replacement and you look at Austin Matthews right now, or we can even start with um, you know Dom's GSVA right. Austin Matthews is the best player in the, in the league this year by GSVA, and so when you're summing up the values then of Lionel plus Dubois you don't actually come to Matthews's total. And so if the value provided at one position is greater than the value provided by two players at two positions, you're, you're kind of losing there. And so that's why I do think it's a legitimate question to ask because I think when you go to actually assign value uh, to these players in as objective a way as possible, you do realize that the truly elite players uh, do have a sizable gap, I think, between some of the guys that come after him. Now, I'm not saying that that exists here, um, that Lafreniere is going to be head and shoulders above Byfield, Stutzel, or Rossi. Like, I don't think it's known in the same way that McDavid was going to be a generational talent. That being said, I do think it's always an interesting question to ask because it's all based on the perception of how big you believe that gap to be right now and and how confident are you in your development system because... You know, I think if you look at this right now, most people would say, sure, Detroit should make that deal for Lafreniere, for Stutzel, and Rossi. But, you know, the confidence that you have in Lafreniere becoming what he's going to become versus the confidence you have in Stutzel and Rossi, I, I think it's a valid question to ask. 
Man, I am still hung up on the idea that you wouldn't trade McDavid and that contract for Eichel, who had an unreal year. I know he's... Well, well you know, separate the contract, right? Because... Uh, you again, can't! Like, That's, the, this is part of it. They're all going to get paid. Yeah, I mean, they're going to get paid, but again, the McDavid McDavid's still getting paid less than what he's worth. It's just that's how much he's he's paid. It's like LeBron James in the NBA. His contract is the max contract, but he's still worth more than that. It's fair. I guess it helps that we didn't draft any of these guys in our fake draft the other day because uh, that kind of tells you that none of them are are values per se. I, I, I agree. McDavid and Matthews are two of the five to ten best players in the NHL and that is there that you cannot just go by like you know place in order and and you're saying like you know oh I'll trade the the first best player for the third best player because sometimes that gap really is like a whole you know win in a season and then that's not worth a deal but um man I don't know I, I I see your point I mean I also don't think that Lafreniere and I know you don't think Lafreniere is on the McDavid level either um but I, I just think when I see those those questions come in on my Twitter mentions, um, that feels like a no-brainer to the point that it's, it's never going to be on the table. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you absolutely have to give consideration to it. It's just I don't know that it's as much of a slam dunk to make the deal. And, and that's where I do think if you're Ottawa and you're telling me that, all right, there's, a, there's an 85% certainty that Alexi Lafreniere is going to be you know, in this tier of NHL players, and there's a 50% certainty on Stutzel and a, let's say, a a 55% certainty on Rossi, you know, is that a gamble you're willing to make knowing that at the end of the day at the NHL level, you you need elite talent and you need elite players. And and so that's where you can roll the dice. And and again, the gambler in me is going to say, you know, I would take the, the two picks. I would take Stutzel and Rossi. But you just you you could you want to look and see that certainty, and that's where I think it's just a tricky decision. That's where I don't know that anybody's adamantly saying no at this point in time. I should have used better examples. I had so many better examples that I could have used. I was going to say because if you look at you know <laughs> Pierre Luc Dubois and, and Line, a, their value is like a full one GSVA below Matthews, and sh- even Strom and, and uh, Eichel just barely exceed McDavid's value. So it's. It's like it's it's really really close, but it's. A I should very have done question. Ekblad for Sam Reinhart and Leon Dreisaitl, and I should right, have and done... that's where it comes down to what is what is the number one player, right? And yeah. so if we're saying that Lafreniere is the best number one player to come out since John Tavares. Well, I should say since McDavid, but he's kind of like in that John Tavares mold. Well, Matthews then, is more recent than McDavid. So it would have been right, but I think a lot of people are kind of bucketing or saying that uh, Lafreniere is on that tier of at least Matthews and potentially the best number one since uh, McDavid. And so, if you're saying that that's the number one player, I do think it is a really interesting conversation to have about would you trade picks two and three or three and four for one, knowing that that's what number one is. That's a fair point. Would you trade Tavares for Hedman and Matt Duchesne? That one, yeah. I mean, that one you're going to make that deal. And that's, again, how it's shaken out. Tavares was also, uh, you know, an outstanding player. And he was the the unequivocal number one in his draft, too. All right. Well, I didn't make my point as well as I would have hoped to. But that's all right. I can can take this L. 
Um, anyways, we'll, we'll get back to the, to the TSN mock. Um, two things I want to ask you about that, that stood out to me in both of these. Number one is the rise of Jack Quinn. And I know this is a subject that you have some feelings on. And number two is the essence of a guy that I know you and I both like in the top 15, which is Seth Jarvis. Uh, how do you kind of square Jack Quinn floating around the fringes of the top 10? I think he went 11 in R's and 9th in TSN's, uh, and the complete lack of Seth Jarvis in these mock drafts. Yeah, so we'll start with Jack Quinn. Jack Quinn, I mean, you, you take a look at his stats, um, you know, just on basically looking from elite prospects, you're going, all right, it's a 50-goal score in the OHL. This is Arthur Kaliev. I I don't buy that just – I don't buy that same argument here, and there's a couple of reasons for that. I think, number one, you have to remember that Ottawa this year, the Ottawa 67 is the team that – uh um, Quinn played for. They were absolutely loaded. So another great player who's playing over there is, is Marco Rossi, and he's a guy we've obviously talked about a lot. But they've got a lot of really, really talented players. Actually, a lot of guys scoring, you know, quite well. Ottawa had an outstanding season this year. I mean, <laughs> if you look at their record, they were fifty and eleven, fifty eleven and one. Like this is a absolutely dominant team. And so I think one of the challenges you have when evaluating players on teams like that is. How much, you know, is that player a product of the team that they're on? And, you know, when I've talked to people who've watched him a lot, the people that try to marry the, the data with uh, kind of the video and, and get a little bit more of an insight, I, they don't come away impressed. And, I, you know, I put a lot of stake in their opinions. And when you kind of dig into, uh, you know, Quinn's numbers a little bit more, you, you factor in, the Marco Rossi piece, and while Rossi wasn't his primary center, Rossi still factored in on 25% of Quinn's goals uh, this season. So I think that's an important thing to think about. You know, I, I'm just not, I'm just not sold on him. The guy shot 22% this year. Is that going to be a translatable skill? I know Max, you've you've been a fan of his shot. You think he's got a pretty good shot. I don't know. I can't buy it, and I think there are at least 12 to 13 people I would want to take ahead of Jack Quinn. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think there's some stuff there um, to to really get excited about in terms of the shot and, and the guy who, when you score that many goals, even when you're playing with other good players, it's impressive. But yeah, I, I kind of get your point here. And he's a guy that didn't have a huge track record prior to the season, which I think, you know, sometimes you do see these true pop-up prospects. Um, but ideally, you want the guys who have some track record to go with it. Now, I know those guys usually um, are gone in the top six, seven picks. I mean, that's where you're talking about kind of your Marco Rossi's and Quentin Byfields of the world. But, you know, Jack Quinn, 50 goals this year, scored only 12 a season ago. So, you know, I, if a team has a little bit of pause about that, I would completely understand um, I was more surprised though that, that that Jarvis didn't get into this range. Like he's a guy that you know when you watch on some of the highlights on on video, and when you look at his um, even just his stats, he's a guy that jumps out as I don't know if if the WHL just isn't getting as much attention this year uh, or what. But to me, he's a guy that you see a lot of stuff there that says he makes sense in the top fifteen. And maybe he's right on the outside. We don't know what would have happened kind of after these fifteen picks. But it's a guy who almost had a hundred points in the WHL this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. And again, you know, like we've said multiple times on, on the show, the WHL is certainly in a down season uh, this year for the league. It's not as strong of a league as it was last year. I think that's a large part of the reason why you just don't have the same press. You don't have Bowen Byram. You don't have the top three centers. You don't have a lot of people 
uh, in the league of the same caliber. That being said, I mean, Jarvis was not on the radar for a lot of people, but, you know, when he was closing out the last little bit of the season here, I mean, the guy was absolutely on fire. Uh, if you look at his games in, in February uh, to March, just as he was going, he's got a 2.3.23, a five-point game, another three-point game. I mean, he had more games where he had three points than games where he had one or none points. And so the guy was absolutely rolling. And I think it's a big reason why he's he's pushing up the boards. Again, you know, he's a little bit undersized. He's five foot ten, 170-some pounds. Um, but I think he's a guy that a lot of people just don't have a great grip on where he should go. I mean, you have him ranked as high as 16 by future considerations and as low as 29 by ISS. I think he's a tough one to project. But me personally, I think he's somewhere between the top 10 to 15 players in this draft. Uh, Central Scouting released their rankings uh, yesterday uh, afternoon, and Jarvis came in 11 among North American skaters, which, um, depending on you know how many top-end international players, that could be about right. I mean, realistically, there's probably four or five uh, international skaters who you could put ahead of him, and I, I would say probably only four. So, uh, you know, that could be about right for, for his range. I mean, obviously, there's the Askarov question and how that changes things up, because I don't love how they divide this into North American skaters, North American goalies, international skaters, international goalies. I think I understand why it happens, but um, you know that that is more in line with where I think Jarvis should go is is right in that you know fifteen range, and I, I certainly wouldn't have an issue if someone wanted to take him a little higher. Uh, and on Central's, as he goes above some guys that we see drafted, uh, including like Dylan Holloway in in these drafts, so uh, that's interesting to keep in mind too. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. And, you know, we'll talk about Central Scouting's rankings in, in just a second here. But, you know, he's a guy that's been one of the biggest movers. And I think it's because, you know, similar to, uh, you know, some of the other guys that we've talked about, like Jack Quinn, he didn't have an overly impressive year last year. It's not like this is a guy who's done it in back-to-back years. I mean, last year for Portland in the WHL, 16 goals, 39 points in 61 games. And now all of a sudden it's 42 goals and 98 points in 58 games. So just a, a massive swing up. And, and again, it's not, he's not prone to the same issue of, of Quinn in that, uh, Portland's not on the same level as Ottawa is in the OHL. And then again, the other thing that I didn't mention with Jack Quinn is that he's one of the oldest players in the draft. So remember to be eligible for the draft. You have to be born after September 15th, uh, to, uh, of the, of the year preceding. So basically you gotta be 18, uh, by the time you're drafted. And, and Jack Quinn's a September 19th birthday. So he's literally one of the oldest players in this draft. And, uh, while that shouldn't be held as a huge knock, it is something to consider when you're talking about how he's potentially a year older than some of the guys he's going against. Yep. Yep. What, what else stood out to you on the central list? Let's just get right in there. So the central list is very, very interesting. And, and, uh, one name, I think actually before I even get into the names, one comment I'm going to make about this list. And it's a comment that I have just a, a global issue with the way this was done. So they're, the way central scouting releases their rankings is they do a midterm ranking and then they do a final ranking. Obviously this year's final ranking is pushed up substantially. Uh, because we're not getting to see the end of the seasons, the Memorial Cup, and, and a lot of the postseason tournaments over in Europe. Um, but that being said, the midterm ranking was released on January 15th, and we're getting this uh, final ranking here on April 8th. And 
we're looking and we're saying some of these, we haven't really had games for, what, two weeks now? So how is there this much volatility in the rankings on the basis of two months of games in their leagues, no international tournaments, nothing? I was just surprised at how volatile the rankings were. Um, you have some people jumping by as many as 60 spots over the course of two months. I mean, that may be, you know, 12, 13 games played for them. Uh, it's That was just wild to me. And so I take all of that with a grain of salt. But one guy that really stood out to me that, that jumped up a lot and is much, much higher than I think would be uh, suitable is Jake Sanderson in the USHL uh, defenseman. He's uh, actually fourth on North on the North American list behind only Alexi Lafreniere, Quentin Byfield, Jamie Drysdale. That's it. He's so he's ahead of Perfetti, Rossi, and a lot of the other guys we've talked about. That name just stands out to me as as maybe a guy who's much higher than he should be. Let me read you uh, Corey's blurb on Sanderson here, and, and we'll see if uh, if that doesn't. Well, actually, that doesn't. He doesn't do a whole lot of scouting there on. On Sanderson, but I know Sanderson's been a late riser, and so I, I think he's a guy who, um, statistically, I don't think the, the profile is what maybe you're expecting from a guy in that range. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he goes top ten, though. I mean, number one, we just always see kind of that position scarcity of, of defensemen way in, and, and I think he's a guy who just kind of came on strong later in the year, and he had that big. All-American uh, prospects game that that I think kind of catapulted him. So it doesn't surprise me to see him move up. It does surprise me to see him over Rossi. And you and I talked a lot about Rossi last night. We uh, you tweeted a little bit of our uh, text exchange from it. But he's the guy that you and I both feel. Um, it, if you're going to sleep on him for being five nine, you should at least look into the fact that he's built like a tank. Still, I mean, he's he's five nine, but he's one eighty three. That's like about the same as Jake Sanderson, who's one eighty five. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right. Like, uh, you know, Marco Rossi, you can't sleep on him because of his size because he is built so well. His lower body strength, a lot of what you hear from the scouts is that he's, he's such a phenomenal, you know, player all over the ice. He's so tough on the puck, so tough to get the puck away from. And it's because he's got this great lower body strength. And so you can't dismiss him because of his size because he's not built like – he's not built like Otto Kibben Mackey. Right. You know, he's not the five-foot – eight 140 pounds soaking wet player on the day of the draft he's you know the same weight as guys who are six foot one six foot two and so i he's just a guy you can't dismiss and to me to to it's a almost a little bit of a slap in the face to, to a guy like rossi who is producing at levels that we just haven't seen in the ohl i mean he's scoring more than byfield we're talking about he's right behind Connor mcdavid uh, in terms of that uh, that type of scoring, and it's just it's uh, amazing how much he's getting overlooked when his own you know head coach and GM they're saying he's the best player in every facet of the game on the most dominant team in the OHL, and you've got him behind a guy in Jake Sanderson who frankly is just not that impressive. And when you look at the U.S. historically, they have not done an, a great job of pushing out strong. Uh, American defenseman. And so I have a just, I just have a pause when evaluating defensemen kind of out of the USDP, the USHL, and Sanderson's profile just isn't that impressive when you compare him back to, you know, some of the other guys that have gone even as recently as last year. 
I like Sanderson more than you do, for sure. I just think it's, you know, when, when you're talking, and he, you know, when we talk about him being about the same weight as Rossi, the advantage he has in that, uh, department is that he will fill out more. I mean, it's possible that Rossi's more maxed out, but I don't think you should be drafting based on, like, muscle anyway. I, I think that the things that Sanderson has going for him are, he's a mobile defenseman who, you know, you need those guys to win. But I think when you're talking, and I, I think the fact that he's a July 2002 birthday, should get factored into the equation here too. I mean, he, he's a young guy who I think, you know, maybe if you're looking at defensemen who who are young, they can look the more more out of place early in the season. And the fact that he came on strong, I think, speaks well for him. So I don't have any issue with a team taking Jake Sanderson like in the top ten, uh, but I would have an issue with them taking him over someone like Rossi, who you and I both feel can be a number one center who's proven it, who doesn't have any flaw to his game unless it is his height. Uh, which I think you and I agree, ultimately, there's enough track record there to think it's not going to hinder him. And so that's what we were talking about last night of, of who are the, who are the players at his position at that size who have been able to really make it work. Uh, and one of the ones that you talked about was Braden Point, and I think that's a really nice one. And, and one of the names I had seen, but I couldn't, you know, make that comparison myself. I didn't watch Martin Saint Louis, but that's a name that I've seen come up just in internet circles. So, um, those are two examples though of players who, when you told me to Google uh, Marty St. Louis' thighs, uh, yeah, I, I get the the point you're making there is that if you're thick and if you're, you know, muscly enough, then the height itself doesn't matter as long as you're not going to get knocked off pucks, as long as you're not going to get uh, rubbed out of corners. And those don't seem like they need to be issues for Marco Rossi. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And it's all about body composition. And, and it just reminds me a lot. I mean, Red Wings fans should be very familiar with this. When you look at Henrik Zetterberg, the guy was not very big. Uh, you know, he was, he was not a six foot two, 200 pound, uh, you know, forward that was absolutely dynamic with the puck. I mean, the guy was like five foot 11. Uh, and when he was drafted, he wasn't all that big. I mean, he's probably 180, 185 pounds. He certainly, uh, bulked up a little bit, but the way he was built, his lower body strength was just exceptional. And he was a guy that was just so difficult to take the puck away from. He knew how to use his lower body, use his back. Pavel Datsuk was another guy who could do that too. It's not, he wasn't an overly big guy, but their core and their lower body was just built so well that they were difficult guys to play against. And, and that's where I think you just can't overlook a guy like Rossi simply because of his height, because what he's doing uh, in the OHL is just it's really phenomenal, exceptional, and he's, you have to acknowledge his scoring rate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, and the fact that Jack Quinn is right there next to him, um, I think is interesting too, because it, it if, seemingly, if you were going to, um, ding Rossi at all, I don't know why Quinn then kind of rises right up next to him. I think Quinn's a good player too. Like I said, I, I wouldn't have any issue with the team digging in the top 15. I bet he does go in the top 15 because 50 goal scorers are pretty rare. Um, but I, I just can't explain Rossi sliding on that on that list to me. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. It, it's just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and I think there's there's something to look into there. And if he's truly going to slide out of the top five, which I would be shocked to see that, some team is going to get a very very capable player. How about on the international list? Anything really stand out to you there? You know, the international list, again, the volatility was a huge thing. Uh, I think one thing to point out uh, for me is I was very surprised that Lucas Raymond quietly just keeps 
slipping down ever yep. so slightly. Um, you know, when we came into this season, Lucas Raymond was, you know, challenging for the number two overall spot with Quentin Byfield. A lot of people felt he was that gifted, that talented. And for whatever reason, you know, now guys like Alexander Holtz, uh, Anton Lundell have jumped ahead of him uh, when maybe it shouldn't really be that way. And and I think a large part of the reason why Raymond's sliding is simply because uh, he didn't get a ton of ice time for his team uh, over in the SHL this year because he was playing on a re- relatively good team. The guy got maybe 10 or 11 minutes a night, and so it's very hard to get the, the counting stats when you're playing on a good for London team. And so I think my biggest issue with dropping him in, in that manner is simply – he he was a player that just didn't he did what he could in in his opportunity and he scored well and I think it's honestly something you might say is similar to what happened to Moritz Sider a little bit last year where he played for a good Mannheim team uh, he didn't get a ton of ice time and so maybe the counting stats weren't there and and a lot of people maybe dismiss him on on that basis but Raymond to me is a very gifted player and I, I still think he's the second best international player. Uh, behind Tim Stutzel, and, and he should be right there with Stutzel. But uh, again, if you see Raymond starting to slide, I think you know Raymond and Rossi are two guys that if they're in that seven, eight, nine, ten range, you're going to be talking about a team getting a potential top three, top four player in this draft. Yeah, it's interesting because Holtz managed to produce more on a just as good team. Your Garden was every bit as good as Forlunda this year. I think they might have even finished the season a notch above them in the standings. But he's also just more physically developed. And certainly, if you just want to draft the player who had the best season, that is your prerogative. But Raymond's got some tools in terms of his sense, in terms of his skill. Uh, I'm not going to sleep on those, especially when you're talking about how little ice time he ultimately got uh, in terms of or in, 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 on draft day. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is this guy's got a lot of a lot of attention. I I think he has all the tools. He may take a little bit longer. Um, but again, he's a guy that you just, I don't think he can pass on right now. Let's go through his time on ice in every game. And I think that will be illuminating here for people. So early in the season, uh, he played a few games, mostly 11, kind of 11 to 8 to 11 minutes was kind of his range. And then he had a, a spurt in late January where he was like, okay, now it's 16, 14. And then for some reason it kind of dips again, all the way back down to seven, seven, eight, five, nine, four, four, seven, eleven, and then, then the game he finishes March twelfth, eleven minutes ice, he gets an assist. When you have that, I mean, I'm, that kind of tells me it's a player who's probably too good for the league they were in, not good enough to get the right role yet, or not mature enough to get the right role yet physically uh, in the men's league, but. Th- th- those ice time numbers do not scream a whole lot of opportunity to seriously produce. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly it. Is you're just talking about a guy. I mean, how? What are you going to do in in that amount of minutes? You just you if you get four minutes of ice time, I mean, you're talking about maybe what six shifts. Uh, if that, you know, you got to really hope. Yeah, you really got to hope that something goes your way um, because it's just otherwise you're not going to really factor in on the box score whatsoever. So I think. If you focus too much on the box score with him and not recognize that, number one, the SHL is a very, very good league, and two, 10 points in in 33 games is still really good uh, for a draft-eligible player, and three, he was only doing this in like 10 minutes of ice time a game. 
I think you put all those pieces together and just watch him play, I think he's a guy that could be a potential stud. Yep, yep. Some other names that jumped out at me, uh, Paterka ends up ranked, John Jason Paterka ends up ranking number seven from, uh, from Munich. Uh, Lucas Reichel, who played for Berlin, ends up 11. And Murat Husnadinov is a guy whose name will not stop being on my Twitter feed for good reasons, obviously. Uh, he comes in number 12. I think that's the high, I mean, obviously it's just international, but that's might be the highest I've seen him so far. He's another really young guy, July 2002 birthday. Yeah, he's a guy that's rising really, really quickly. You know, he jumped up uh, a lot of spots from the mid midterm rankings. He went up 16 spots. And again, you know, take that for what you, you you think, but he's a guy who's a very very talented winger. I think uh, you know Will Scouch, who does a lot of uh, tracking, considers uh, you know Marat to be one of the most impressive players that he's tracked this season, right there with Quentin Byfield and Marco Rossi. So again, he's overlooked a little bit because when you pull up the profile and you, you look at him, you go, oh, it's a five foot nine, one hundred sixty five pound center. Uh, it's so you may sense a little bit of a theme here, but. I think he's a guy that's going to be a really, really solid player in the NHL. I think he has all the tools. Again, we don't talk about him as much because he's over in, in Russia playing in the MHL, which is kind of that, uh, you know, junior league for the Russians. And there's the VHL and the KHL. But that being said, I mean, almost a point per game pace at that, at that league. I think he's a really, really talented player who, uh, again, deserves more, uh, more press. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, your boy Zion Nybeck, uh, he has his height. We debated it last, maybe last episode. They still have him at five, six and a half. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, and again, Zion, I think, is another controversial player. I think he'll likely go somewhere in the, the middle of the second round. But again, he's a potential sleeper. I think he's a guy that if you're, if you're willing to set aside height alone and just simply watch these guys play and, and, and take their production for what it is, um, you know, you may be able to walk away with really high caliber players. And this happens and continues to happen in the NHL. I do think the the market inefficiency here is closing. I think for years we've been talking about the different market inefficiencies in the draft. And for the longest time it was, all right, uh, it was drafting international players. And then that has slowly kind of swung to where there's still a decent mix, but probably not the ideal mix um, in a perfect draft system. Then there was the kind of big concern that you're drafting players that are not, you're, that are only big guys and you're not really focusing on the smaller players. And I think Alex Debrinkat was a huge part of kind of swinging that this way. But even then, uh, I still think there's a lot of smaller players that are getting overlooked, particularly on the defensive side and down the middle at center. And so I think there's a lot of these smaller players in this year's draft that are very talented, highly skilled. And if you're willing to take the chance on them, uh, you may be able to get sleepers. And honestly, with the amount of second and third round picks that Detroit has, they have a total of five, you want to play the draft board similar to how Carolina played it. Uh, last year where Carolina had a lot of those picks. But what they realized is as these guys were dropping, they could continue to trade back, get more picks, and then still get the guys they wanted. And so that's how Carolina gets players like Anthony Honka, you know, Patrick Puistola, smaller Finnish guys who are doing really, really well. Uh, and you look at the way the seasons both those guys had, and they had outstanding years this year. So I think there's a potential for some of these guys to fall in that range. 
Yep, I think that's fair. Uh, one guy I was surprised as, was as low as he was was Yarmir Pitlick. He's a guy I mentioned on the last show. Uh, he's a, he's an older player, so maybe that's part of it. But he was 46 among North Americans on the central list. I think that's way too low. I think maybe more like 46 overall. Yeah, I mean, the the two Czech players, Jan Misak and Pitlick, yes, I mean, they were right. way, way down. I mean, Misak was nine on the midterm two months later after going to the OHL and having a five-point game among other things. He drops 19 spots to 28. Uh, so, I mean, both him and Pitlick, I think, are two guys that, again, if, 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 if the draft shakes out the way Central scouting has laid it out. And again, it's important to remember that central scouting last year was not too far off from the way things actually went. Um, you know, they were one of the uh, boards that had Kirby Doc uh, as high as he was when not everybody did. And, and Doc, sure enough, Doc goes at third and, and they had more at Cider a little bit higher up than most. So, uh, if the draft shakes out this way, there's a great opportunity to to load up in the second and third rounds here. If if guys like Misak and, and Pitlick are going to slip. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Uh, anything else you want to talk about on these these draft notes before we move on? No. I mean, it's uh, we're we're not too far off from draft season. Uh, hopefully, uh, once the NHL makes a decision on what they're going to do with the playoffs and the rest of the regular season, we'll. We'll have some answers on how the draft uh, timeline is going to look and how it's going to shake out. That's right. All right, we'll go to the listener questions then. Uh, here's one that I completely forgot about in amidst all the chaos. It's from Nick Smart. He says, imagine you're in Game 7 Stanley Cup Final and somehow it's 3-on-3 three three overtime instead of 5-on-5. Five five. Your starting lineup is Abdulkader, Nielsen, and Erickson, but you get a chance for a line change where you can sub one of them for either Larkin, Mantha, or Cider, but it has to be a player of the same position. Uh who are you subbing for? Uh, I'm subbing Nielsen for Larkin because uh, to me in three on three, I think speed's the biggest uh, factor and what allows these guys to be game breakers. And I think Dylan Larkin's a game breaker in overtime. So first thing I'm doing is getting Franz Nielsen out and, and Dylan Larkin in. Yeah, I think Nielsen is actually one of the guys who I'd be fine having out there, but I agree. Like Larkin is one of the best overtime players in the NHL. So I think that is the move that you make. Uh, this one's from Nature Blast who says if the Red Wings pick three or four, would they select Stutzel uh, over Rossi and make him a center? Now that he's seen more Drysdale clips, he also wants to say, is he good enough for the top four? Yeah, uh, that's tough. I mean, to be quite honest, I have no idea if the Wings were to end up with the third overall pick, who they would decide between. I think it does come down to, to Stutzel versus Rossi. I don't think... Drysdale is going to be a factor uh, here, but you never know. You know, Moritz Sider was the pick last year uh, when there was a lot of good centers uh, available. So uh, my personal opinion is that, you know, the wings would lean Rossi. Uh, but that being said, I don't think you're going to get a bad player in either of those. If they do select Stutzel, I think you want to try and keep him as a center just because there's no guarantee on Valeno or Rasmussen being able to play in the top six, uh, you know, maybe an outside shot uh, for Valeno as second line center, but I still think there's going to be a need for second line or even first line center, you know, with Dylan Larkin. So I think whoever you pick, it's you're still going to want to see if you can make them that center. Uh, as far as Drysdale, I think he's good. Um, he will probably go in the top five, but. 
Uh, I personally wouldn't take him there. Uh, everything I've heard about Stutzel says he's a center. So I, I don't, you know, I know he's played wing and that's probably why he's listed as wing, but you know, I'm pretty sure whoever drafts him is drafting him as a center. Every, everyone I've talked to thinks he's a natural center. And he can play wing, but like he can also play center. And if you, if you have the choice as a team, you're going to have him play center. Um, I think he's probably a notch ahead of Rossi right now. Um, uh, but you know, I think that can be, that can be hashed out. I think that the fact that he played, um, in, in the DEL this year so much and was so productive, like unprecedented levels makes it kind of hard to contextualize in the same way that we can contextualize Rossi. But, you know, unprecedented is unprecedented and he's got a lot of awesome tools. I, I don't think you're going wrong either way you go there. Um, but yeah, I think Drysdale's good enough to go in kind of the top four in terms of like, if someone does it, I don't think it's like a bad pick, but I think I would probably have him more like fifth or sixth, uh, behind Stutzel Rossi and maybe Raymond. But if, if you want to take him four or five, what, whatever, I, I, you know, he's a really good player. He's a really good two-way player, skates great. Um, yeah, he's an awesome player. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't disagree with that. I, I'd probably have him closer to eight on my board, but that's just because, uh, I really believe a lot more in the translating ability of some of the forwards uh, versus the defensemen here. I think that's fair. Um, Alec Codman, one of my very good friends, asks, how many holes does a straw have? I mean, he's got two holes, right? Is it or is it only one? I count it as two. Depends on how you're defining, a straw, defining the hole here. If it's If it's a bendy straw, I think... No, it's probably the same principle. I think it's one hole. I think it's like you have the piece of plastic and then you basically hollow it out. That makes one hole. It's like there's one one hole if you like drill through a tree, right? Uh, I think it depends because like if you're talking about from an entrance and exit perspective, that's you have two entrance or two entrance points, right? I, don't I can know. see that. It's an interesting, it's an interesting philosophical debate here that we could have. And oh, look, we have plenty of time to do that in quarantine. You're the scientist, so I guess I'll defer to you. Uh, now, a math question. Peter says, "What percentage chances are there that the Red Wings never win a cup in your lifetime?" Uh, Another cup, I, mean, I should given, say. Yeah, I mean, given that the uh, you know the league has expanded to 32 teams, and if they're going to keep 16 teams in the playoffs and go that way i think you know you're looking at toronto right they're at 50 plus years and most of that was as the league was expanding i think it's only getting tougher to win now uh yeah i mean i'd say it's probably a at least a 40 percent shot i guess it depends on how you like to me the way i would do that in my head is like they're one of 32 teams. Right now, they don't have very good odds. But, like, you know, once they're an average team again, you might say their odds are, you know, 3% in the average year. And I expect to be alive around, what, conservatively 50 years puts me at, like, 75. So 0.03 times 50, like, that would put them in an expected one and a half cups while I'm alive. That's, yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. Um, the way I'm kind of thinking about it is if, like, let's say the best team each year, what percentage likelihood do they have to win the Stanley Like Cup? a 25, right? Yeah, I mean, 20 is probably, 20 yeah. to 25 is probably the upper limit. 
And so you have to, and then if you're talking about the 16th best team, you're talking about what, maybe one, two percent? Yeah. So if, if you want to, and that's not a totally linear, um, relationship. So what I suspect is you probably have, uh, somewhere, if you're a consistent playoff team, you probably have a median of, let's say, an eight percent chance. Uh, of winning the Stanley Cup each year. That's if you're a playoff team. I'm going to just pick the median here. Uh, so my personal philosophy is you could take 92% odds of you not winning and just multiply it by, you know, the 50 years, uh, assuming that now you'd have to make some weird assumptions like are the events independent um, versus dependent to actually do the math correctly. But you could probably figure it out, and I bet it's still on the higher side somewhere in that 30 to 40% range. Can make a number say whatever you want it to. That's exactly right. Uh, anything else? Beer League Chump asks the question I was asking. Why does Central Scouting insist on making separate lists for Europe and North America? Why do they do that? It's infuriating. I couldn't tell you the, the reason why, but it just, it's, it's fine. I don't know of any team that actually, like, makes their draft lists that way. Well, they do, I think it's probably but more... they just go and combine it afterwards. Well, right, right. That's what I mean. It's like it's it's ultimately combined, so you have one singular ranking um, for like a, a board. But I, I think you know if you're from the NHL Central Scouting perspective, they're not necessarily in the business of actually creating drafting. a board, right. right, or actually drafting. So you know the impetus for them to do it is probably just not there. Yeah. No. I mean, I think that's that's what it is. Is it's probably like a. You know, you have scouts that see the same pool of players, and it's hard for a scout to spend their whole year in Europe to to say how does, you know, Rodion Amarov compare to Seth Jarvis, right? Like, they, they haven't probably seen both of those players, save for maybe an international tournament here or there. So you bring up the two lists among that are evaluated among people who have seen all the same players and can really confidently argue their points for why player A is better than player D and why player B is below both of them or whatever, right? Um, but you would think that there maybe is like some, like, like there's in a real department, there's some cross checkers and a scouting director who ultimately then say, okay, here's the list. Uh, I guess I get why Central doesn't have to do that or doesn't do it, uh, but it certainly makes our uh, pontificating a little bit harder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough, but it is what it is. I would agree. All right, I think that's all we got for today. Uh, thank you guys for the questions as always. Thank you for listening. Make sure that you're still out there supporting local businesses, especially restaurants in this time. Uh, everybody needs to get takeout once in a while or delivery as, as some kind of respite from all of this. So wherever that place is for you, make sure you're supporting it. I tried a great place in Royal Oak the other day called Buki's Grill. It's Mediterranean. I had an awesome lamb euro. So if you're in the area and that sounds good to you, give Buki's a try. Uh, but really wherever it is, wherever you're listening from, just make sure you're getting out and supporting a local restaurant or business at this time. Uh, we can all get through this if we, if we do things like that and, uh, and, and ride this out. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again Monday.